Please stand for the reading of God's word from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, welcome again. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, we are continuing in a series uh, that we have been calling The Return of the King, looking through Matthew's Gospel at this long-awaited return of what's called uh, the Christ, which is a, a Greek translation of a Hebrew word, Messiah, meaning anointed one. It was a, a term for king. Matthew's writing to tell us about the return of the king. And this is the return of the king in a time where a people had been a conquered people. They had been deported and exiled numerous times. They were not a people that controlled their own destiny. And they were largely a second-class people in an empire that didn't speak their language and didn't give them primary rights. They were a people that had been living as a conquered, leaderless, marginalized people for centuries. And they had been waiting and waiting and waiting for something to change. Maybe that's familiar to you this morning. Maybe it's been familiar in your life that you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for something to change, maybe in your circumstances, uh, maybe in your own life, in your heart, in your habits, in your relationships. But according to the scriptures, that power for change that we are looking for, that, that God's people were looking for back then, comes not from ourselves. We know that, we feel that, because if it was, then we would already have it. We would have already done it. But the scriptures say it comes through this promised king, through the return of the king for God's people who was coming to live and reign with them to make everything right. And Matthew tells us that this returning king is going to be a man, actually a baby at first, named Jesus. And this Jesus is going to be that anointed Christ and so we've been looking at the return of the king. Last week we started, if you weren't here with us, by looking at, at the origin or the line of the king, the surprising family tree that this king comes from. And we saw how Jesus, this king, doesn't just fall into this line, but he actually chooses it. 
He chooses this broken, unexceptional line. If you look back through the names in verses 1 through 15, showing us that he is surprisingly unfazed by our brokenness and our often just unexceptional lives. Rather, he chooses that. He chooses us in that, and he uses that precisely as the way that he comes to be our king. And this week, we're going to look at not the the origin, the backstory to the king, but the announcement when the king is actually supposed to arrive. We're looking at how he's introduced and what that reveals to us about ourselves, that announcement, and about him. What does this announcement tell us about us and about God? And so I want to look at how the announcement of this king shows us two things, that it shows us that God has to intervene or we will miss what he's doing. And second, I want to look at what God is doing through this, so that God has to intervene or we'll miss what he's doing and what God is doing through this announcement. Before we do that, I invite you to bow your heads and let's pray and ask God to fill up our time together. Have we still our hearts this morning, having heard from your word, coming now to meditate on that, to be quiet and let ourselves be shaped by it, to let it speak to us. We pray that it would be something that shapes our hearts, that brings us in our own way to know you a little bit more, to hear the announcement of your grace this morning in the same way that we might hear the announcement about a retreat or an opportunity. Would we hear an announcement as an opportunity of good news, that we would be invited in, that there would be something about who you are and what you have done that would so fundamentally change our understanding of ourselves and our world that we might leave here changed people. And so I pray that you would do that this morning because it is in your power, it is in your grace, and it is your joy to do exactly that. So we ask only what you are too eager to do. Would you come now and meet us here? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. If you don't, there should be one like this in the pew in front of you. We're going to go back through the text a little bit together this morning. But let's start with how, how God has to intervene in this announcement of the king. Otherwise, we'll miss what he's doing. Uh, This comes up when we look at what happens with Joseph and Mary's uh, engagement, or what's described here in verse 18 as a betrothal. Mary is betrothed to Joseph, and that is not just like engagement today. It is engagement on steroids. It's not just a wedding ring and a wedding planner and picking a venue. Uh, Grant Osborne in his commentary points points out that at that time it was a legally binding contract signed by witnesses and something that could only be broken by an official letter of divorce. And it's so much like a marriage, actually, that he says if the, the husband, as the, as the fiancé was called, if he were to die before the wedding, then the engaged woman would be considered a widow having all the rights that would be afforded a widow of a husband at that time. So it was not marriage itself, but it was very close to it. It was extremely significant. There was no easy way out of it. It was considered, in a sense, nearly done, just waiting for the wedding and consummation. So Joseph and Mary are super serious here. 
They are not married, but they are legally bound to one another. And in that context, it comes out that Mary is pregnant. Now, our narrator is giving us the omniscient view that what Joseph is about to learn is that this is through the Holy Spirit, but the community, including Joseph, apart from that revelation, does not know that Mary is with child because of the Holy Spirit. It seems to everyone, really, that she has just painfully broken this agreement, this promise, this commitment. And that's a very difficult thing. It's easy for us to just be familiar with this story and to walk past it and not think anything about it. It even gets characterized in movies and stories that that someone has a child with someone else that isn't their spouse or soon-to-be spouse. But this does happen in real life. It happened in a family friend of mine's family when I was growing up. Maybe it happened in your family. Maybe it's happened with you. A child comes into the picture that doesn't belong to one of the spouses. It's not a light thing. It's a heavy thing for the spouses that are involved. It's, it's a very difficult family-shaking thing, and it's a thing that has persistent difficulty that goes with it. And we see here in this wrestling that Joseph has described doing in verse 20 as, as something that is reasonably difficult for him, that he is upset, that he likely feels betrayed and deeply hurt, Because, verse 20 says, he has to consider what he should do because he's feeling a lot of things through this, it seems, that because of verse 19 and what it talks about there, it seems Joseph clearly cares about Mary, that just because he thinks she has done this doesn't mean that he doesn't care about her, but he's also hurt. And at the same time, as another commentator, R.T. France, points out, the law, as then understood, he says, required the termination of the engagement in the case of adultery. So as a law-abiding man, Joseph would be expected to repudiate his fiance publicly in a trial for adultery. So for Joseph, as a just man, as our text says, or maybe better translated, a righteous man, verse 19, uh, which as France points out, would mean a law-abiding Man. To be righteous is to be after the things of God, to seek God's guidance and counsel and to do the things that he calls you to do. As that kind of person, as someone whose heart is set on doing what God would call him to do, to ignore what God says to do would put him in direct conflict with the core of who he is. So he feels this tension between caring for Mary and caring for what God calls him to do, and he is wrestling with how to reconcile those things. What should I do? Maybe you've been in that circumstance where you care deeply about two things that feel in conflict, and it is hard to know how to square those things, how to find a path between them. But it seems like he comes up with a plan that he thinks and that the text would even suggest is actually a good plan, a a compassionate plan. His plan is to not divorce Mary publicly, to have a trial, to out her in front of the rest of the community, but to do it quietly. He has to do it with witnesses. It was a legally binding thing to not do it in front of everyone, but in front of a small set of witnesses to end the betrothal as the law required, but to not do that in a way that would hurt her. He's trying to do the right thing in a gentle way, based on what he knows. But, but, verse 20, 
an angel appears to him and intervenes against this plan. He tells Joseph specifically not to do what the text seems to suggest would be a gentle, compassionate way to go about this situation. The text doesn't condemn Joseph for trying to do this. It calls him a righteous man and suggests that in trying to do this quietly, he would be doing something that was compassionate and righteous and good. And yet, the angel reveals that rather than following God's will in doing that, which is what Joseph seeks to do, he would be actively working against God's plan to do that. If you are Joseph, this is confusing and surprising on multiple levels. You thought that you have wrestled with this long and hard. You have tried to be righteous. You've tried to be compassionate. And someone has just told you you'd have no idea what you're doing. Stop everything. You're doing this completely wrong. This feels like many of my experiences in math class. Some of you all are very good mathematicians and scientists. Bless you. The Lord has given you gifts. He has not given me those gifts. Many times my teachers would come to me and say, stop everything you were doing. You are not even close to going in the right direction with this. That's what happens with Joseph. He is trying. I was trying. It was a good, well-meant effort. And the angel says, stop. No, no, no. Cross it all out. We're starting over. What he planned to do as an act of mercy or gentleness the angel is letting him know, would not have been either merciful or gentle. It would not even have been right because Mary has done nothing wrong. That's what he doesn't know. He doesn't know that Mary has done nothing wrong. He would have abandoned Mary for the wrong reasons while trying to do the right thing. He would have done the wrong thing. The text is suggesting to us, if we sit with this for a minute, that unless the angel intervened with Joseph, unless the angel stepped in with Joseph, he would have gotten it completely wrong even while having the absolute best intentions. He would have completely blown it while trying to do the most gentle, compassionate thing that he could think of. To play the role that God was giving him to play as this connector between the line of David and the promised king, the Christ who was to come, God had to intervene with Joseph. And he had to do that not against all the ways that Joseph had screwed up, but against Joseph's best efforts to do the right thing. Not in Joseph turning away from God, not in Joseph ignoring God. He has to intervene on top of Joseph's best efforts to follow God. Do you see that? Joseph is not listed as someone who is walking away from God. He is described as someone actively trying to follow God. God has to intervene on top of Joseph's best efforts to follow God. Think about that. It means if God's bringing this plan to bear is left solely up to Joseph, if God's bringing his plan for our lives to bear is left solely up to us, even if you are trying to follow God, if it solely depends on you, you will not get it right. You will miss something. There is something that you need to know that you don't know. Maybe even a really big important thing that you don't know. 
And this points to the whole reason that, that the Christ, the restoring king from God, has to come for humanity because on our own, we don't actually know the way to God's restoration and care even when we are genuinely trying to pursue it. Even when we know the target we should be shooting for, we have somehow taken a dramatic left turn instead of going the way that we ought to go. We don't have it in us to find it on our own. We are like if you have been in a car when the GPS can't figure out exactly where you are and it tells you to turn left when you are in the middle of a freeway and there is nowhere to turn left because it is confused. That is what we do. We know where we're supposed to be going. We go, "Mm, left turn. I'm going to turn into oncoming traffic right in front of me. See, one of the clearest messages of Scripture which shows up here is that even the best of us The Apostle Paul is very clear about this. Even the best of us, even the, quote, righteous, as Joseph is called, can't follow the purposes of God by ourselves without missing something dramatic. You cannot follow the purposes of God by yourself without his intervention, without messing up in some way. There will be things that God has planned that you cannot account for. Joseph could not account for this. There was no category for Joseph to expect his wife-to-be to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That was no more common then than it is today. Joseph would not be thinking, yep, must be immaculate. This is definitely God. This woman is A-OK by me, right? Joseph is thinking what we all would be thinking. This is the worst. I can't believe you would do this to me. He doesn't have a framework for what God was intending to do. There were things he could not imagine. In the same way, you and I do not have a framework for the things that God might use in your life to bring you close to him, to bring his plan to bear in your life. Things you likely won't even understand. We need, like Joseph needed, God to intervene to bring us to what he has for us. Christianity is not a find-the-path-on-your-own religion. It's just not. That is not the conviction of Scripture. That is not the story of the history of the church. It is not a find-it-on-your-own religion. It's you can't find it even when you're trying your best. God's plan has to be announced to you. Or you won't find it. But the good news of the gospel is that God does intervene. You can't find it on your own, but God does announce it. He does intervene like he intervened here for Joseph. The good news is you don't have to find it on your own. It's not all riding on you. In a, in a context like Cambridge and Boston where so much is put into our intellect and our achievement and the things that you can do and the path is the one that you find and the connections are the ones that you make, in an exhausting context like that where so many things just ride on your shoulders, hear the grace of God that says, I am not expecting you to find it. I am not expecting you to find my plan and my purposes and the greatest flourishing in your life on your own. I'm expecting to show you and to bring that through for you. That's what the hope of the gospel 
is like, something that you would miss on your own, but you're given because you don't have to find it on your own. It has to be told to you or you will never find it, but the good news is it is being, it has been told to you. Which brings us to our second point, which is the, the, the it that you will never find on your own, which is what God's doing in your life, what God's doing through Joseph's life here, what he is intending to do through all our lives, that if he didn't tell us, we would otherwise totally miss. And so what is God doing through this crazy announcement, through doing things this strange way? Well, Joseph is concerned that Mary has been unfaithful, and then entrusting himself and her to God's ways would just mean sending her away quietly. That's what Joseph thinks is happening here, that God is maybe testing him to see would he be faithful to things that God has called him with, even when something he wants so dearly is breaking down. But God intervenes to say, no, that is not what I am doing here. That's not what I want you to do here. She has not committed adultery. You not only shouldn't send her away, she's done nothing wrong. You should stay with her. But more than that, your relationship, your standing in the community, it would have been a shameful thing for him to stay with someone who is publicly thought to have done this. Your relationship, your standing in the community is not what I am working out for you here. They're only the venue for something so much bigger that I am doing that is beyond your life or anyone else's life. The relationship and the scandal as you see it, what's weighing on you, it is heavy. But it's not where I'm going with this. I'm going somewhere that you would never guess in a million years because where I'm going is bringing me, God, the all-power infinite, eternal, holy, brilliant, unending to dwell with you in person as the Christ, your King, who will make all things right. This isn't about your relationship. This is about Emmanuel, as the text says, about God's promise to one day be with you again, to come down in person in a way that you could touch and talk to, in a way that you could see and hold. God's telling Joseph, this is not about Mary moving out. This is about me moving in. This is about the king coming home. That's what this is about. It's not about what is right in front of your face, Joseph. It's about something much greater, something that you can't see on your own unless I tell you about it. And this is not just how God works in Joseph's life. This is often how God works in my life, I can testify to, and the reality is your life as well. He works on something much bigger than we can see. The thing that's right in front of your face is not what God is most ultimately doing most of the time in your life. He's working through what you feel like is your whole world right now, what you feel like is just completely weighing you down, what you can't get off your mind, what you can't get out of. And often what he wants to do in your life for you, with you, is not really about that thing. That thing is the way to something much bigger, something much deeper, something much more lasting. 
And those things are not unimportant to him that are right in front of your face. If anything, Scripture tells us that Jesus is a compassionate Savior, that he identifies with us, that he knows what the day-to-day struggle is like. Those things are not unimportant to him. He doesn't dismiss them, but he is after something greater than that. He's not after the things that we see. Paul says the things that are seen are transient and passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's not that he doesn't care about what you see. It's that he wants you to see what he sees, the unseen, which is the eternal, unfading, undying things that he has for you that are not just this one moment where I'm trying to figure out what to do with my career, or I'm trying to figure out what to do about a relationship in my family, a dating relationship, a relationship with my parents, with my siblings, how I see myself, what I'll look like, how, how well I'll be accepted. He cares about those things and yet he wants to do something so much more than what is just right in front of your face. Matthew tells us that something greater that God was after in this all-consuming in-your-face problem that Joseph faces, the thing that he couldn't see, What God was after was his moving in to the world, his coming to live with his people again, which would involve something so much more than Joseph could imagine. He wanted to give himself to Joseph. He wanted to give his presence, the God with us presence, to him and to the world, something that he could not possibly fathom from the one test that he thought was in front of him, and yet something that would make him endure any other test that would possibly come into his life. God similarly wants to do the same thing with you. What, what seems like this one small thing, he wants to give you something that will help you endure not just that, but things that will come after that. He doesn't just want to give you a fish and have you eat for a day. He wants to teach you to fish. He wants to give you the fruits of the Spirit that you might have peace, joy, love, hope in abounding measure. These things that will conquer your circumstances and not just be your circumstances. What is in your face is important, but it is often pointing to something so much more important, which is our ability to have a resilience with the fruit of the Spirit that stands up to anything that may come our way. And that something so much greater is the Emmanuel that is coming in God, who would come not just as our friend, but who Matthew is trying to show us comes as a king and does the kinds of things that a king would do. Fight our battles for us. That's what it's talking about Jesus as a savior for sins is. A savior is someone who fights for you, who provides for you, takes care of you. That's what it would look like to have him present with us as our king is someone who would fight for you, who would stand up for you, who would give you a voice when you had no voice, who would give you back freedom when you only had captivity, who would give you joy when all you had is sorrow. He is coming as someone who fights for you for the things that you don't know that are your biggest problems and for the things that even when you do know that they're your biggest problems that you just can't solve. He would be God with us as king and savior, the one who even when you don't know how to overcome these things, when you have not learned how to do some of these things on your own, that he will fight the battles that you cannot fight, that he will be what gives you the strength to do these things. How is he going to do that? Joseph doesn't know yet. 
but he's going to do it through this unexpected way that we've been looking at last week and this week where, where he's going to do what he does effectively by being born into this scandalous situation. He is going to step into bad reputation. Mary's pregnancy would have been a bad reputation for her whole life. Everybody would have been skeptical. You and I would have been skeptical. You'd been like, okay, the Holy Spirit, Mary, sure. Good for Joseph for sticking with you, but if it was me, no way, right? He is stepping into, he's committing to scandal for the rest of his life by becoming a king of suspect circumstances because we were his people of massively suspect lives. People who, as Scripture describes it, when it talks about sin, it talks about sin as spiritual adultery, as cheating on God with something else, as the one who is meant to fulfill you, you try to find fulfillment somewhere else. But ultimately, just being disappointed in those things, trying to find them like ashes for food, being empty and tasteless in the end. He would be this king and savior for us by taking on our rightly deserved reputation becoming what we were at the cross and letting himself be disgraced and killed by it, not escaping it, stepping all the way into it. He would let our sin, our enemy, send him away publicly, put him on trial publicly, not quietly, put him away painfully, not graciously, so that in his publicly being sent away, the sin and reputation that held you and I captive, rightfully so, would be sent away in him. That in dying with him, it would have power over you no more when you are united to him by faith. His death becomes your death. That reputation that was put to death with him is put to death for you. This is how our God would move in as king. This is the story that Joseph doesn't know. This is the plan that he can't imagine, that our king, our Emmanuel, God, the holy and eternal, would step into our mess and take that on himself, that he would move closer into us in our bad reputation, not wait for us to clean up our reputation and bring something nice to him. He steps into our faithless, wandering, our misdirected at best efforts and lets them take him away. And that may not be the news that you want to hear today. You may not want to hear that there is something like sin, particularly in our secular context here in the Cambridge area, that is not a popular thing. You may not like the idea that sin would give you a bad reputation with God, that things that you might like a lot right now, according to Scripture, are actually leading you to something that is empty and hollow and like ash in your mouth. But listen, Joseph probably did not feel excited about taking Mary on as his wife. He didn't feel excited about all the things that would come with that reputation for the rest of their lives. I'm sure Joseph did not feel excited about the community dynamic of this. He probably didn't want to give up his standing in the community as a righteous and just man. Could you imagine living your life in such a way that Scripture describes you as righteous and then you've done all that and at the end of it, you marry someone who is always believed to have been unfaithful to you? I don't think Joseph would have wanted to willingly embrace the difficulty 
that God brought into his life. It would have felt like he was working against the vibrant life that he was planning to have for himself. But he trusted here in verses 24 and 25, he trusted that God saw something that he didn't see. That something was being announced to him that he didn't have a category for, that his categories couldn't account for. That there was a hope beyond what his senses, what his mind and his training could see. A hope that for all the difficulty and struggle of his life with Mary, that it would bring an immeasurably greater hope. That God, eternity himself, was coming down in person in a way you could touch and talk to and see and hold to dwell with you forever. I want to ask, would you trust that for all the difficulty of following Jesus in this day and time and place, all the difficulty of letting him tell you what works and what doesn't work, would you trust that there could be something greater on the other side of that that maybe you haven't thought about, that maybe you haven't considered as possible before. Something bigger that God wants to bring out for you in your life that you can't see because you've been living life right here for so long. It would be like spiritual glasses for the first time that you can't see at a distance and all of a sudden you could see at a distance. I pray that you'd find that with us this Advent season. That those of you who are Christians would find it again this Advent season. The Spirit would give you these spiritual glasses that would let you see beyond your present moment to what he might be doing, to those deeper things, to those peace, love, hope, and joy that you don't have to guess, is God going to give me this or that? He has always promised to give you the fruits of the Spirit. He hasn't promised to give you a house here or a job there or a relationship here, but he has always promised to give you love, hope, peace, faith. You can be sure that he is bringing those things out through any of these circumstances. Find that hope again this Advent season, that whatever your circumstances, there is something deeper. And so by way of application, I want to encourage us to do some of that more practically, to find that hope this Advent season by doing two things, by trusting and by being curious. First, I'm going to invite you, ask you, and ask myself really, to trust that God knows something in this moment that you don't No. What is a thorny, difficult problem in your mind right now? A relationship that's unreconciled? I've got some of those. Of a problem that's in front of you that you can't see how you're going to get around? Where might you trust that God sees something in that that you don't see? Because the way of faith, as Joseph displays it, is to trust that God sees something you don't see. If you call yourself a Christian this morning, you are signing up to believe that God sees something that you don't see. That in being here and affirming faith, you are affirming, yes, God, you see something I don't see. I'm trusting you beyond what I can see. That's what faith is about, trusting beyond what I can see. The way of salvation will require you to own that you don't know everything you need to know for life. Would you trust in that over trusting in what our culture will offer you is trust most deeply yourself? I'm going to tell you right now, yourself will change. 
Some of our older saints could tell me how much their selves will change from my age to their age. I can tell some of our younger saints how much you will change from your age to my age. Your self will change. It is not a constant. The deepest you is a moving target. Will you trust that God who is internal, unmoving, unchanged, that he sees something that you don't see in these circumstances? Put your trust not in yourself. We are ever-changing but in God who is unchanging, showing you the way, even if it is different and more painful than you expect, it was certainly more painful for Joseph. I'm not telling you that following him will be un, without pain, but that there is something on the other side of that that's worth so much more. Put your trust in that this season, in something more than just what's right here. And finally, be curious. Be curious about what other greater thing might God be doing through this. Yes, we can see the pain. Yes, Joseph could have just seen all the reputation that would come through this and just felt like, ah. But what might it look like to have a curiosity of thinking, yes, I see that, but I wonder what God's doing through that. Hope is so much more powerful, so much more driving if we let it focus us on what God might be up to in this, something that will transcend just this current moment. Where is he teaching you to fish instead of just giving you a fish for the day? Be curious. Wonder what he might be doing, where he's drawing you close to him in a way that you couldn't imagine, in a way that, that maybe you're fighting against actively in your current circumstances. Have a curiosity. I wonder what God might be doing through this instead of just letting the despair of the thing run you down and tell you that nothing good will happen. Come back to this story and say, all of that might be true. All the despair, all the frustration might be there. And yet, God saw something that he didn't see. I wonder what God sees that I don't see. Be curious about where God is breaking in, where he is moving in, not moving out, because Advent tells us that God moves all the way in, in the places that you least expect him to. Let's pray. We'd like to leave a little space for you to reflect on some of what we've just been talking about, maybe to thank God that he desires to move in to dwell with you, and that he does that even now by his Holy Spirit. Thank him for that. Or maybe confess the ways that, that you've wanted to be far off, that you don't want to see what he sees. Maybe ask God to show you the way forward when you just can't see a way around this. Ask him to show you how to trust him when you can't see. Let's pray. God, thank you that you move in. We pray that you would move even closer in now. Hear our prayers. Amen.